0: We're podcasting remote across the globe. Grab your favorite umbrella drink and the notes app on your phone while we chat with entrepreneurs, marketing leaders, and remote employees across the globe about the hashtag work from anywhere movement, the culture of the countries they're working in, cool projects at the forefront of marketing and tech, and the culture of remote work. I'm your host, Gianna Barrett, the founder and chief remote officer of First Page Strategy, a growth marketing agency that's been remote since 2016. Are you ready to take this journey with us? Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Remotely Cultured. I'm your host, Gianna, calling in from Roatan, Honduras, where I run FPS and host this podcast. This episode is brought to you by First Page Strategy. At FPS, we use data and big ideas to produce exponential growth for product-led brands who need to nail their acquisition goals and want to work with a flexible, non-traditional agency. For example, in one year, we've grown a client's total revenue 197% their organic revenue by 300%, and their paid revenue by over 1,000%. If you're a SaaS, fintech, or startup and need to hit your 2023 high-growth acquisition goals, check us out at firstpavestrategy.com. Today on the podcast, we have with us Angela Cope. Angela is the Director of Demand Generation at SoftChoice. In June 2022, she moved from downtown Toronto to the woods of Nova Scotia with her husband, Derek, and her dog, Enoch. Enoch, did I get that right? Yeah. yes, like You got it. Cool. All right. Welcome, Angela. And so Nova Scotia, that's so fun and unique. Um, I love when we, you know, we're a little bit new in the podcast here. So we have so far someone calling in every day from a new remote location. But tell me a little bit about um, Nova Scotia, like what and why and how you ended up there. What was kind of your vision and all of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on the show as well. Nova Scotia uh, started in many of the lockdowns that we were experiencing in Toronto in 2020. And it didn't begin with, oh, let's move to Nova Scotia. But actually what it started with was an opportunity to really slow down for my husband and I. We had nowhere else to go but to be in, in our home and to ask ourselves some really big questions so what we used to do on friday night since we would open a bottle of wine and then we would ask the questions that we had not asked each other yet like what do we want in life what do we envision retirement to be what does the next 20 to 30 years look like and well, what we would do is ask these questions and then spend the rest of the week Going about our days and sort of thinking about it, reflecting on it, and coming back to those questions. So, it really gave us the opportunity to connect on a deeper level, and that you know took months and months and months of asking big questions like what What do we want in life?" And somehow that led us down this path to making a move into the woods. We live on a lake here in Nova Scotia. We're about an hour and a half outside of Halifax, so. You know, downtown Toronto, Ubers, delivery, everything you need, mm-hmm. 24-hour garage for your car in case you get a flat to like middle of the woods, dirt road, no self-service, can't even order a pizza. So it's been uh, quite yeah. the They love that. Yeah. Yeah. Just incredibly rewarding. We decided, you know, let's just do it. Let's hold each other's hands and see what happens. And it's been better than what we, we can imagine. Amazing. So for those, you know, some people
0: don't know at all what Nova Scotia is like, don't really know what area of Canada we're talking about. You mentioned that obviously this is more of a smaller community. Is there like a town nearby? Is there any sort of, do you have neighbors? Like what kind of situation in the woods are we talking about here? <laughs>
1: so we do have neighbors they are not as close as what our Toronto home was like so there are wooded tree lines in between Yeah, but it is sort of ceiling with a mop yes when people are exactly exactly (laughs) so you know we are in what many people would consider a a cottage community here so we just happen to live full-time here um so it's really busy in the summer and on the weekends much quieter in the winter time of course we're probably some of the youngest folks who live in this area yeah um town is 25 minutes away and we have a gas station called steers that is about 10 minutes away for all of your essentials so that's the closest we're gonna get there (laughs) nice um But yeah, no, we've uh, it's it's a very different vibe, and it's very community oriented. Um, So it's yeah, it's quite interesting. We're probably about forty-five minutes drive to the ocean, and uh, yeah, it's it's great. Cool, and um,
0: I know you've written. I saw you wrote a little bit before in an article about how it was completely out of your comfort zone, and. I'd love to hear just how that has changed you, um, choosing to move away from your comfort zone, because not a lot of people do that. They dream about it, but they don't actually do it. So how has that altered your trajectory?
1: I think for me, the biggest change that I've noticed is the shedding of versions of myself and letting really go of the past version of myself to welcome on new growth i actually um within the first weekend of being here i had a really really bad day i just started crying i was like what is wrong with us what were we thinking there's no cell service there's nothing here like have we gone absolutely <laughs> we're crazy yeah and um I remember walking, going for a walk, just to kind of get out of that mindset for for a moment. And as I walked down the dirt roads, I actually saw um, snake skin on the road, and it was just this great visual wow. representation that I needed for myself in that moment. Yeah, and I went down this path of like what it means for a snake to shed its skin, and just reading about like. Now the snake has to go through all these rocks and all these painful moments in order to let go of that skin and to grow and move on. And Amazing. that's what it's really, really, been for me. I think it's just shedding those skins and opening up new opportunity for growth. I love that. So I imagine that some of the shedding of that comes with
0: being like the similar to what I shed when I left the U.S. as being that busy city lifestyle, go, 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 um, which I have also experienced how incredible it can be to let go of that side of yourself. But I'm interested in um, how your working environment has changed in that. Like, how is it different for you to be show up as a leader or an employee that you were in Toronto versus how you show up now that you have changed your lifestyle in Nova Scotia?
1: Yeah, great question. It obviously has changed even today was a difficult day being a remote leader. I was trying to dial it to a call and it was difficult to hear and I'm you know, expected to lead parts of it. And it's, it's quite challenging. So there's absolutely moments that I, I find myself still adopting to. Um, but I have been a remote leader for actually several years now. So I did come into this with that experience. I started leading a remote team in 2018. So I have had that opportunity to understand it a little bit more yeah. uh, versus, you know, just going from Toronto to to here. But it it is interesting because I see soft choice now, encouraging folks to come back into the office and asking leaders to sort of drive that change. And of course it's top of mind for me of you know, like, how do I manage that remotely? So create team engagement encourage folks to be into the office and support those efforts when I can't physically do it myself. So I miss out on opportunity, of course. Um, But I also have, I think, a greater perspective of how to balance my life and not just put all of me into work. Mm -hmm. That's been a real benefit for me uh, as somebody who has historically done that. To say, you know what, it's okay to have that space and some time and space is a good thing. So um I just look at it a little bit differently now.
0: Yeah. Um, and something else that I've seen you kind of talk about is what you just what you just mentioned is that you have been a remote leader for a while. You've worked remote for over 10 years, you've managed remote teams, you said since 2018, and you recently shared um for. In your recent LinkedIn newsletters, I saw you share kind of about the struggles of managers who like to manage remotely and how there's kind of two things that happen. And one, there's a misconception that working from home is a privilege. And two, that managers struggle to trust their staff to actually work from home. So um, can you talk a little bit about that and what those two things mean and how like remote managers should actually shift their mindset?
1: I remember that article. It's pretty ironic because I think I wrote that at the end of 2019 and then the world shift and sort of forced <laughs> yeah. leaders to, to be remote leaders. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at that point in time, I might remember being in a call and somebody made a comment that they felt that um, remote employees don't do as much work or they can't be trusted or it's just not a great way to work. And, um, you know, I, I saw the complete opposite of that with my team. Like we were remote and we were doing a great job of being remote. So, yeah. and my team loved it. Like they loved the fact that they had the flexibility to make a choice as to when they're coming into the office, when they're going to be working with us virtually or not. And, uh, a lot of what we discovered together as a team is that it actually put people into better productivity spaces. Um, Some people love being in the office. That's where they are productive. Perhaps being at home isn't the best setup for them. And others are on the opposite side there, right? Being in the office could come with many distractions. It could come with a lot of sidebar conversations. Um, So, you know, if you're somebody who may struggle with a conversation being started at your desk, and you can't get back into that product, like productivity zone, then um, those are the types of folks that I find pref- preferring to work from home. I'm one of those individuals. I love to chat, of course, um, but I also have a lot to get done in a day and I don't want to be working and burning the midnight oil either. So I-, I need to let myself work from home for myself to keep boundaries and a greater work life balance. Yeah. Versus my husband, who's very outgoing, rather be in the office, rather you know, and and that's just it's all t- it's all fine. It's recognizing who we are as individuals and supporting the individual employee to yeah. greater impact the larger team. Um, yeah. So that's you know what my view has really been on on that for many years. And also, we're not children. That was my biggest piece that I really struggled yeah. with. I felt like you know leaders would be like oh remote workers are they can't be trusted and it's like these are people who have accountability and respect for their jobs and yeah. we're not just working for fun we're doing it right. to live to board yeah. our places of, of living and what we want to do on the weekends and supporting family right so yeah um i think it's a, a pretty outdated view and, and mindset that yeah. on a remote staff. Yeah. Um, I I talk about this piece a lot because I'm pretty
0: bullish about it. But also, you know, your point about accountability, like if you have a company built around accountability and deliverables more than someone's green light sitting in front of an office, then that's all that matters, right? Like if people are accountable and they're doing the work they need to do, then that's what matters. It doesn't matter how many hours it took them to do it or like where they're doing it from, right? And it's just it's just a mindset shift that it seems to be like really hard for some companies and leaders to be doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I'd also challenge to look at that leadership team. What is the age? What is the background? What is, yeah. you know, is there a lot of privilege there? That's another thing too. I think a lot of the folks who I hear drive work uh, work from office conversations, or high up, uh, have homes in Toronto and can afford to to go there and to get yeah. babysitters or you know nannies for their kids. And sometimes I like, hear leaders be like, "Well, oh, just get a nanny," and it's like, "You're a VP, uh, maybe you can afford it," but like yeah. I see on my team can't. Like you know, so I, right. I think there's also that privilege that exists there too with that mindset of returning. To- forcing the return to the office sometimes.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of great conversation about that, like being in how companies are, you know, younger people in their career, like you're saying, the individual contributors are able to work for companies and, you know, get great jobs and make a great salary without having to move to the core city centers that are so expensive now. Like back in when I started my career and I was at that point and I had to move up like I was in downtown Seattle and downtown San Francisco and and like neither of those places are very affordable these days for people in entry level, entry level positions. So, yeah, it does really open up that the opportunities for um, junior people to make better money and live, you know, better lifestyles.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: What about communication? I have seen you talk a little bit about how important that is and some of the things that you specifically do to communicate with your team as a leader remotely. Can you share some of those particulars and how you communicate as a remote leader?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I actually really learn a lot from the marketing mindsets in my leadership style. So in marketing and in our space, we've talked about at least seven touches to get a message across. Now it's, you know, even greater than that with all the messages that come at people constantly every day. So I lean into that mindset with my communication model. And sometimes it just means coming back to the same topic and perhaps. Communicating a message in a presentation, and then in a follow-up email, and then maybe a voice note in Microsoft Teams. So really leaning in on on that communication need, even with the teams internally, like we would with our customers. The other way in which I've looked at communication differently within my leadership approach over the last couple of years and really sort of developed that soft choice was being very clear with my expectations of the leaders on my team and the larger demand general board so um when i first joined soft choice in this role about two years ago now i walked into it knowing that i was taking on a department that wasn't in the best space um one of the lowest engaged departments at soft choice that we had at the time and It was a bumpy start for me there was eight people who resigned within eight weeks um i completely lost all the teams and functions and you know it's there was just a lot of negativity across the team which i understood was not a result of my leadership i was just walking into this Uh, but it was my reality now to to work through and manage so Mm -hmm. probably four or five months in uh, I really needed to put my feet down and set a tone for my leadership team and for the larger department as well. And I did something new that I hadn't done before within my career. And there's three key things that I did. The first was I clearly articulated my expectations of the working relationships that I would have with my leaders and the ways that we are going to collaborate as a leadership team. So I wrote it down, I walked through it. It was a document that was provided and it was thing that we come back to and i introduced for any new year on the team as well that this is how this working relationship is going to be so just clearly communicating road expectations uh and then the other two pieces that i did was introduce a guiding practice within uh the teams this extended into our ics which is the daily practice of learn grow teach and it's just this mindset to encourage everyone that you know, each day there's an opportunity to learn, grow, and teach. I'm happy to get into that at a later time as well. And then, lastly, um, we introduce guiding principles within the team. So these are five guiding principles that we have within Demand Gen. The first one is we communicate. The second is we're accountable. Not every day is game day, we respect ourselves and each other, and we stay curious. So those guiding principles are a result of the soft choice values that we have at our organization. And I, I wanted to take those values, put very practical steps in place through guiding principles. And what we do as a team is every once in a while, we'll come back to these guiding principles in our team calls and revisit what this means and how you show up as an accountable individual within your order recognizing how to stay curious and the types of questions you can be asking and the way that you can dig deeper. So it really took me thinking about communication differently and being very clear and articulate in what I needed to say. And, you know, I think one of the other key learnings that I've had as a leader over the last couple of years and coming to soft choice, I have a lot of diversity within my team, which is incredible. And I've learned a lot about myself and my own biases and privileges that I have as well as a leader and one of the key learnings that I've taken away from that is sometimes we can use a word that has completely different meanings to different people across the range. so you can't just rely on a word to describe what your expectations are you need to dig deeper into what that word means and be very articulate and clear on your expectations so, when I say we are accountable, I don't just leave it there. Nobody like everybody's going to think of accountability differently, and they're going to have a yeah. different uh, background and lens of what that means. So, yeah, digging, getting deeper there, like, okay, what does it actually mean to be accountable? And what is my role that I have to play? What are the roles that, you know, Angela has to play versus my leaders versus others across the organization? So, you can't just rely on, oh, well, we're a matrix organization. Okay, what does that mean? But, Yeah, Like you can't just say those things in a call and expect people to know exactly what it is that you you are trying to communicate at that point in time. That's great advice.
0: And so all of these um, ways of working and and kind of, you know, setting up your team on how you're going to work together, this was all documented for them? This was, yeah. And then presented. And then how often do you go back and like, revisit that documentation? Or is it something that they're expected to kind of like know and revisit themselves and review? Or how do you make it a living and breathing thing within your team?
1: Yes. There's actually a few ways that we do this. One, it shows up again in any of my one-on-one career development conversations that I will have across the team. So As soon as you know somebody starts to talk about what their goals and aspirations are, I will reframe some of my responses back using that language. I'll either frame it in the learn, grow, teach mindset, or I'll even say, you know, let's go back to our guiding principles. So I I make a point to bring it up in practical, like an actual conversation that we're having and find the appropriate ways to revisit that with the team. And it helps. I can actually see when people are on screen, I can see the wheels turning and the connecting of the dots. And it's like, okay, I've taken this now, this one slide, and I've understood it differently from this lens and from this context. So, you know, yeah. I make sure that I, I do bring it up um, regularly and often in calls, mm. whether it's one-on-ones or team meetings or and anything that we're like collaborating on and looking to uh, reframe the lens on. Um, we do come back to it probably every couple of months. We'll in my team calls, I'll come back to it and we'll do a deeper dive on one of those guiding principles. What does it really mean? Not every day is game day, it's a favorite, I think, across my team and understanding that, you know, some days we're gonna be at 10%, other days we'll be at 60, and maybe one day I'm at 90%, like real good day, really productive, really in that mode. Mm -hmm. And we talk about that principle being um the same lens that perhaps we would look at like a sports team, right? Like a team doesn't just show up and win championship games every single day. It takes practice, it takes time off. It takes, you know, putting priorities into other places that you need to show up at on the field. And um we talk a lot about measuring success over the long term. Like I know we live in a 12 month calendar cycle, but that doesn't mean that you have to measure your success in that same lens. So Mm -hmm. it's really reshaping the way people think about what success is and how it shows up each day. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So those are some of the ways that we do it. And then, of course, anybody who's new to the team, I usually spend some one-on-one time with them as well, just walking through those principles and uh, discussing it as well with with new team members.
0: I love that. I might have to borrow that... um... Not every day is game day. We're we're actually kind of relooking at core values as a company right now, which I think is what you're talking about with soft choice. And then you have the guiding principles that ladder down from the core values, right? But mm-hmm. I feel like not every day is game day kind of gets to like why I love remote so much. And we really believe mm-hmm. in like letting people show up how, as they are. So we have some co-workers who worked at companies before where they were required to wear like suits or no hats on zoom or whatever but we all culture where it's like you know I live on the Caribbean island it's freaking hot I show up on zoom in tank tops and sometimes I show up immediately after a yoga class or so like so it's kind of just like show up as you are right and a lot of that for humans is like we don't show up at a hundred percent every single day and to expect people yeah. to be like that and hold people to those kind of unrealistic expectations. I mean, that that's part of what leads to burnout, right? So giving someone space to be like, you know, it's okay to show up at 10% when you're going through a loss, you're grieving, you're not feeling well, you just woke up with a headache or one of that. Like, I feel like we're humans and every day is kind of a little bit of a crapshoot. You never really know what you're going to wake up as, especially when you get in your 40s and above like I am. So um, yeah, that's beautiful. I love that that core value. It's great. Um, So let's talk a little bit more. Let's dig deeper. I'd love to learn or hear about what this learn, grow, teach is for you. You've mentioned it a couple times now. And how is that something that you um, use in your everyday leadership and in, in
1: your team? I think it's actually a reminder for me more than anything else. Um, and that's what my daily practice and the guiding principles are. I mean, they definitely benefit the team, but also as an individual, as a person yeah. who is working through all that the world has brought in the last several years, yeah. is still, you know, meant to break. Um, it really comes from this, for me, this love of the lunar cycle and recognizing that, you know, the moon teaches us that there are different phases that come with the moon. But even though you may not see the moon on a new moon day because the sun is not shining on it, it doesn't mean the moon's not there. So I think that's something that we need to remind remind ourselves as people as well, right? Like some days uh, we're going to shine incredibly bright in the sky, and other days it's just going to be a little sliver of us. And you know, there's there's changes in seasons. Our breath is circular. Everything that we do is in a circular motion and that's where the learn grow teach concept comes into play for my my eyes right like we're all in these different cycles of time in our lives and our careers and our learning and how do we sort of navigate that collectively as a team in um something that keeps us all recognizing everyone's own place and time but also keeps us all grounded together so learning growth teaches really this, this opportunity that you know we are in these different cycles. Days are going to be challenging, but if you can frame a day in your mind as, how can I learn in this moment or how can I open myself up to the pains and growth uh, or how can I help teach others? This helps us just understand that you know today is a gift. Every day is a gift. And Instead, I'm getting frustrated and bogged down, which is so easy to do, right? Like it happens to me and it happens to everyone. We're all people and it's, it's challenging. So even when I'm finding myself in that, it's it's this ability just to reframe perhaps some of the negative talk that might be showing up for me in my mind. I'm going, oh, wait, hold on. This is a negative conversation right now. Can I look at this as, you know, did I learn here? You know, did I grow somehow? Or can I help teach somebody in this moment? Um, and some days might be a combination of all three practices. Other days it might just be like purely learning or purely growing um, or teaching. So you know, it's it's been a really cool experience introducing this because I've heard it from so many across my team now over the last almost you know year and a half of introducing this concept. I hear it on calls. I hear. I hear others I'm you know I'll talk to one of the leaders on my team and she's like yeah you know I I think of your learn grow teach model and it's occurred to me oh maybe I need to just take this in the teach opportunity so something that was really put in place as a bit of a risk and not really sure how it was going to land has really been rewarding for myself as a leader as I navigate each day but also for many folks across my team as well as they navigate navigate each day also So how do you remind
0: yourselves of these concepts? I feel like, you know, I'm often taking leadership classes and kind of you're coached in a way to approach certain conversations or you're coached in a way to, you know, approach certain particular moments that might come up as a leader. But how do you yourself like make sure that you're constantly thinking about some of these things and constantly revisiting some of these things? Is it just like a post-it note on your
1: computer or how do you go about it? practice it's all practice yeah. honestly and some days it's easier than others and being compassionate to myself when perhaps i'm not leaning into my practice fully it comes from a lot of the mindfulness um practice that i've had for you know 5ish years now um i've gone through a lot of work i've gone through a lot of therapy a lot of journaling a lot of meditation a lot of yoga all those things yeah me too and- girl Yeah. And the journey is just beginning. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. So, it's just, it's there for the rest of my life. And um, for me, I recently saw probably something on like TikTok, and somebody was just saying, you know, if you start to hear a negative train of thought in your mind, Mm -hmm. a good way to be mindful of it is just to go to yourself, oh, that's the part of my brain that gets anxiety, or oh, that's the part of my brain Mm -hmm. that gets angry, or and just saying that interrupts that train of thought that can easily start rolling and, you know, yeah. the momentum's going. And just saying that, that's been really helpful for me recently. I, mm-hmm. Coming across that sort of that um, approach has really helped me to be like, oh, that's the side of yeah. me that's getting really triggered right now. And just that, that simple trick has been a game changer um, yeah. for me to continue that mindfulness practice and like yeah. I love it. Um, so obviously
0: mindfulness is really important to you. Um, I love that I am on the mindfulness train as much as I can be. You know, so it, It's very hard as a human to constantly try to go back to that stuff. And I find myself in some of the toughest situations, not doing it as much as I could. But the journaling and the yoga and um, some mindfulness teachers that I follow have really been life-changing in my career as well. So how else do you bring those things? What other mindfulness techniques do
1: you bring to marketing and to your role? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To my role, I would say the big piece is breathing. Just I do a lot of um, resets on my laptop and resets on my body. the <laughs> so yeah. Reset on my laptop is an easy reset button. But for me, Um, there are times that I, you know, I could feel myself getting triggered or getting frustrated. And I just, you know, maybe we'll take a step back or I've got my meditation pillow is available and I'll just go and and do some breathing there. Um that's how it shows up in my day-to-day in terms of marketing and how it shows up for our customers. Um, you know, that's a different lens. I think it's the ability to really get out of my ego which is a lot of times what we have to do when we're being mindful. And a lot of those thoughts are driven by our ego. Um, so the fact that I can do that more regularly for myself, just in day-to-day practice helps me to think about campaigns a little bit differently. Um, before I was one of those marketers who just thought that if, my campaign was the best campaign. Like that was that was sort of an approach that I had at an earlier point in my career. And I see a lot of people who still have that mindset and that approach. And I think it comes a little bit with the space that we're in and um, perhaps it's par for the course and they're in a marketing role. But for me, I have come to just let that side go. And that opens up a lot of space for my team to test new things, to do something that I wouldn't do. And I really look at it from the lens of like, no, I I wouldn't do this, but super curious to see what happens when you do it. Like, what are the results? And just because I had bad results with a Twitter campaign or a past job or a past campaign doesn't mean it's going to be bad for you. So I think that mindfulness practice has shown up for me in my leadership approach, in how we approach campaigns, because it allows me to take a step back from, well, this is about my ego what I would want to do et cetera, and just let others do their work um, and then see how customers respond to it at the end of the day I love it so it allows you to take
0: a more of a testing approach and kind of open approach like hey like let's just test this and see what works and I'm not going to really have show up with any kind of perceived ideas about how this is going to turn out that's yeah. great, and that's honestly like that's like the marketer sandbox that you want to be in, right? Like personally, that's the kind of marketing I love. Like when you don't, mm-hmm. when you're able to really test wild, fun, unique things. I mean, that's that's when you find something that really works these days, right? Because there's so much stuff that has been done. There's so much noise. It's like how you know everybody wants to break outside the box and do something different, and you can't really figure out what that is unless you have the space to be creative and test yeah
1: absolutely and we need to be doing more of that for all those reasons that you said and more right and to there's a lot happening too in our space there's ai tools that we're now working with that's coming up like you got to really be open to those types of tests and get your hands dirty and the space is going to continue to evolve for us and change and the world is going to continue to evolve and change what does ai mean for our customers now right so yeah it's such an interesting time i mean i've been saying for years, it's an interesting time to be alive, but even like in the last hmm. six months of this year, yeah, like, metaverse, what that was so 2022. Yeah. Now it's all AI, and now oh. I'm trying to wrap
0: my head around that.
1: And yeah, to come at this from I gotta be open, I, I gotta let the anxiety that might come up of like, oh, am I gonna have a job in five years? Like, that that's actually just yeah. anxiety. that's not the reality. Right. The reality is, I have a job right now, stay focused on today. Yeah. Um, and go from there. Yeah. Couple. Yeah. Interesting time to be a marketer. You couple AI
0: with the whole like privacy cookie problem. Like the yeah. CEO is going to be dead. People using voice search. It's like it really is going to be wild to see where we end up 10 years from now. Um, but yeah, this, I've been having a lot of conversations about AI on the podcast, um, either podcast I'm on as a guest or I have guests just because. That's what kind of marketers are interested in these days. And uh, most of the conclusions I'm hearing is that, you know, AI just doesn't work without like a human component. to it. (laughs) But I'd love to hear kind of you, you are director of demand gen, right? At Softchoice, which is a great channel, demand generation, lead generation. Um, And how do you guys look at AI AI for that channel? Like, have you been testing Mm. anything um, amongst your team or at your company yet?
1: Yeah, so we're, there's been a lot of work underway at SoftChoice, and um, we're really looking at it from three key pillars for our customers. So the first is how do we leverage AI to improve existing applications? Um, so an example here is if somebody comes to SoftChoice.com and they're working on the back end of the website, they need an update on an order and you really have a question like how do you leverage a chat box to help automate that process, get their, um, create a better, uh, Brand experience with them, and you know, reduce the amount of phone calls that our reps are also getting, and how yeah. to move them away from sales. So, you know, what are those existing apps? How can we leverage it there and make improvements uh, on that lens? And then, of course, the really exciting pillars: the art of the possible, right? So, how can we take different workshops and work through these big picture ideas of what applications can look like through AI? Um, and Softchoice's the design studio team, is going through a lot of these workshops right now with um, Microsoft really closely. I've had the opportunity to be on some of these calls and, and hear um, some of the conversation underway on the AI side, which has been really fascinating. And the reason I'm on these calls is because I want to drive early adoption of AI at Softchoice. I want to be part of that team who is building the art of the possible for us as an organization. Um, Yeah, You know, I know orgs have been hesitant to adopt it and there's just a lot of uncertainty and it's changing. Like every other day, there's a new announcement. It's just so fast of what's coming through. So for us, we're really looking at how we can create our own AI internally that helps with the content creation challenge that the company faces. I think people look at content creation as just a marketing challenge i see it as a company-wide challenge right like sellers yeah. are putting content out our technical teams are putting content out partner teams our team everybody's putting content out like everything we do is content creation least, you know, hey the powerpoint is the content uh so for me it's how can we help our collective organization create that content get it out to market faster make sure it's on brand make sure it's able to reference existing content pieces um and you know support the effort of folks across the org and oh i need a one pager created on this new assessment or whatever the case may be with very little to no human touch we're still gonna have to have human touch to your point at the it's so early days with ai so everything needs to be reviewed but yeah um excited to see what that brings and then for us it's like how do we take something like a guidebook that gets created that we're not going to leverage AI for it at this current state, but we're going to write these, you know, 15 pages of great information, great insight on the state of security within the space. And then how do we take AI to pull all the supporting pieces of content needed mm-hmm. in there? So different ad copy types and ads, different outreach, email sequences, for either our marketing efforts or our sellers or a landing page creation, whatever the case may be, how can we just look to leverage the AI to help us get out into market faster, reduce sort of the redundancy of certain tasks, and also yeah. add to the creative thinking? I don't think it's going. We can't just rely on it to do everything for us. But how do we look at AI as part of our toolbox um, versus oh, you know, I'll just use AI to like write the email for me? That's not how it works. You gotta you gotta work with the tools that you're being provided. Yeah. That's the right approach. I think,
0: you know, just like you can't put your head in the sand as a leader or an entrepreneur about remote work. Like you, you can't put your head in your sand about AI because it's, it's here. It's rapidly changing. We might not understand it, but I think my POV is the best is exactly what you said. It's the best to try to get out there and start testing and figuring out like how to leverage it and work with it instead of ignoring it. So that's great. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, a guidebook really quickly. I'd love just to hear your POV on this topic. I hear come up a lot lately in lead gen and demand gen that the gated content is dead. What are your thoughts on that as a leader in demand gen?
1: Yeah, I would completely agree. We got rid of the vast majority of our gates, um, probably within six months of me joining, it was like everything was gated and we'll look at the numbers and no one's downloading anything, right? So I think yeah. um people are gonna go find the content elsewhere. Yeah. Whether it's gated or not. So what do you got to do to keep them there? And unless you are unless you have built enough trust with a customer or a prospect to ask them to provide you with their contact information to download a piece of content for a prospect, we are not in that trust zone at that point right. in time. Our brand is not there. So why would I ask them for that exchange of information? I'm a director and I know as soon as I enter something into a gate, I'm going to get another phone call from a sales rep and like, I'll just move on. So yeah. <laughs> it's it's just the reality. So I know that that's frustrating for us as marketers. We're so reliant on that information to contribute yeah. to our nurture strategies or our lead gen strategies, whatever the case may be. Honestly, I think we need to start learning to move past the legacy approach to demand gen that, you know, we've got paid campaigns are going to be the way of like, we, we just need to be organic and authentic. And what I mean by that is customers will choose whether or not your brand is in their sphere of influence. Um, and whether or not they choose to engage with your company and your organization they can easily ignore your ads they can easily change their settings on all these different apps like that approach to marketing is if you're not thinking differently now you're going to struggle i think from from my lens and rather how do we really look at content as being something i want to consume and engage with without being asked to or forced to or promoted against right like We can learn a lot from all the influencers who are younger than me, who have gained millions of followers, who are on TikTok. Like we have a lot to learn from that generation of how to be great storytellers and connect with our audience as if they're human. Because that's the other thing too, right? Like I've been in B2B in the technology space for over a decade now. It's like Sometimes I feel like people just talk to this audience as if they have no personality and they're all just sitting there like, oh, we just talk business and buzzwords all the time. And it's like, no, these are people at the end of (laughs) these titles, right? right? Like they have personalities
0: and hobbies. And yeah, I love that. So one last question before we go into our final three questions we wrap every podcast up um, with is, so you guys, if you're not, gating content like what is really working for you as a company to to bring leads in like a tactic yeah. of 2023 that you would you would give other tech companies advice to use
1: yeah for us we work with many right. of our technology partners in our space so um besides our advanced services we are not creating laptops right like it's the Lenovo's and the Dell's and the microsofts of the world who are doing that so yeah we Um, I've actually really looked at moving past just the marketing, traditional marketing approach and understanding how do we get more of a combined sales and marketing individual on the team. So somebody who um, is acting as a sales rep, but also from a marketing lens and thinking of campaigns differently. So what we've done is we've introduced a new team where we work really closely with our partners on what the leads are within their space, because Microsoft has a lot more money to spend on advertising and brand awareness. So Mm. I'd rather just connect with the top of the funnel differently and take advantage of our partner leads and then build out the nurture programs, the outreach sequences, the content around that. So just better partnering with our technology partners and aligning Mm. on what's really working together. Okay. So relationship building. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. OK. All right. Final three questions. Uh, what is your one work from anywhere item or tool that you could never live without and you're not allowed to say a laptop? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, My ear pods. <laughs> yes, that's a good answer.
0: Uh, what is a quick remote work productivity tip you can share with our listeners?
1: Log off of the platforms, log off, give yourself that time and space to get the work done. That's a great tip. Like log out of Slack, log out of... Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. You out. don't, you don't, you need to answer everything instantly. <laughs> yeah. I find myself struggling with that. So that's a good tip. Um, all right. And if someone wanted to learn more about you, where should they go online?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So Angela Hope, and um, that's probably the best place to, to learn more about me.
0: Well, cool. all right, Angela, thank you for coming today. We had
1: fun having you on Remotely Cultured. Thank you so much for having me, Giana. I really enjoyed the conversation today.
0: Thanks for listening to Remotely Cultured with me, Gianna Barrett. I hope that you loved what you heard in this episode and will help spread the word by sharing it with your circle. Check out our other episodes on your fave podcast app and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a show. Until we meet again, keep adventuring.